available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods. Brand Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we make the Podcast of Champions talking all things Pac-12 football. We got some NCAA news, some Pac-12 news. We're going to keep our preview series going with Colorado and USC. And David, we just want to be entertaining. We want to get, let people know we're still out here. We still want football to happen. We want to cover it for you. We're we're listening to you. We'll see your tweets, your emails, all that. We want to talk to you. Make your life as normal as possible during these crazy times. I kind of want to make it as weird as possible. Like I don't want to make <laughs> it normal. And be entertaining? No. This is an informative show. We provide information. That's what we do. We are like uh, like NPR. That's pretty much what we provide. I don't, I don't even know what that. podcast you're describing right now, I, frankly. NPR? I don't know about yeah. that. Um, we want to we want to give the people a chance to get away from COVID-19. We don't want to do all kinds of coronavirus talk, but obviously it's impacting the sport we love, the sport we love to watch and and, and you know, just consume and cover. You can call it. You're talking college basketball right now? Yes, college basketball. No, college football. Um, and we so we want to keep the shows going. So I think we have one more episode after this one of previews. Today, like I said, we'll do Colorado and USC. Then we got a couple more after that. Um, Pac12podcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions you want to email into us, use that email address. If you'd like to call or text us, you can do that too. We haven't used that line for a while. 424 532 uh, Twitter at Pac-12 Podcast. Uh, you'll be tweeting at me because David doesn't look at that. Website, Pac-12Podcast.com. You can find all the old episodes. And then please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, you know, the old iTunes. That's a great place to do it. Uh, but also anywhere you can get a podcast, uh, Google, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio. We're on all those things. So check us out anywhere. Please subscribe, download, say hello, tell your friends, hey, do you like the Pac-12? You should listen to Dave and Ryan. And also we have a Reddit page, reddit.com slash r slash podcast of champions. So you can do some discussions about what's going on in the Pac-12 world over there on the Reddit. It's exciting times. Exciting times. We've gotten a a new five-star review on iTunes. Ooh, I'd love to hear it. This is from Boz196960. People got to stop taking the default names, you know, the ones that they just give you a string of numbers. Don't do that. Um, do you, wait, real quick. Are you a Spotify person? Do you use that? I mean, I use it for music. I don't use it for podcasts. Right. I use it for music, too. And like they give you a username that's like it looks like one of those pre-generated passwords that you get, like for the super <laughs> security. And it doesn't like it comes up on my TV and I, I Google that you can't change your Spotify name. And it's like. 
So I don't know if I logged in like with a Google account or something, and that's why it just you generated must have done that because I I have a username that's actually a real username. Yeah, that's weird. But I pull it up on the screen. My wife has like her picture and her like name on there, and mine is like this gobbledygook. And I was like, I got to change that. And no, so it says you're logged in as all this gobbledygook. So anyway, sorry. It's unfortunate. It's sad. All right. No. Well, do you want to hear from Boz one nine six nine six zero? I certainly do. All right, he has a five-star review for us. He, she, we don't know. It's hard to know with Boz. Uh, The Heisman Trophy of podcasts. Uh, If you love listening to grown men talk about Disney princesses, make mascot noises, and talk about Champagne Larry, then this is the podcast for you. Ryan and Dave attempt to talk about all things Pac-12 football, but with Ryan's lackluster relationship with reading the listeners' questions and Dave's inability to prep for each episode surely— there isn't a better Pac-12 football podcast out there. Love the show. Keep up the great work. You know, he was trying to go for snarky, but he couldn't stop himself from just writing a nice little sweet review. Yeah. You know? I like that. That was great. Thanks, Boz. Love that. Thanks, Boz. Appreciate it, Boz. That's good stuff. Um, well, so we have some some little newsy stuff. We'll start. I think this was all happening on Monday. The NCAA um, came out with uh, what we know as far as the eligibility questions for spring athletes. Um, and I, Kendall Rogers actually did a pretty good in-depth article about this uh, as it retains the baseball, but I think it applies to most of the sports baseball. You can have partial scholarships. So it, you know, it's a little different than football, which is a headcount sport. And this doesn't obviously doesn't involve football because it's a spring sport here, spring sports we're talking about, but they're going to grant an extra year of eligibility and it's up to each university. So, if you want to tell your seniors to pound sand, get out, we're not paying you, we're not giving you your scholarship anymore, you can do that. But if you'd like them all to come back, you'll have roster relief. So if you have a whole bunch of seniors on the team, you can they can still stay on the roster. It's not going to hurt you. And if it's a if it's not a headcount sport, so it's like baseball, and say you have a quarter scholarship for a player, you could say, okay, that player's going to get the quarter scholarship for this new senior year, or he's going to get a little less than that, or he's going to get zero. It's up to the university um, of what they want to do there. So they kind of, you know, that, that was sort of the big news, what we were waiting for. I know Larry Scott was in the, in the PAC 12 ADs. We're all kind of waiting to hear what was happening with that, but that was the kind of big news that came out of the NCAA this week, Dave. Yeah. So good news, I think for spring sports athletes. Um, so, and that's, it seems totally fair. Um, I don't know if they're going to do anything for the winter sports, uh, folks who didn't complete their seasons um, with their postseason tournaments. So. They didn't. Um, they didn't bring that up. So I think you just lost your tournaments, and that's probably about it. But, but I don't know. Yeah. I, haven't, I haven't heard anything specific. But you know, for for all these baseball teams and everything, this is obviously very very good news um, to get a year back. So good on the NCAA for doing the obvious thing for once. Um, and now we'll see how they screw it up going forward. Yeah, uh, and then uh, on Monday morning, the Pac-12. So this is March 30th, came out with um, their Pac-12 pandemic policy. And so according to the new Pac-12 pandemic policy, there could be no in-person team activities, no in-person workouts, film study or meetings of any kind, and no virtually virtually supervised workouts. Football is allowed two hours of virtual meetings per week, while other sports are allowed four hours, but the Pac-12 is appealing to the NCAA to allow to, to give football as many hours as the other sports uh, get the original suspension uh, of all those, of all the uh, organized team activities 
came when they canceled the Pac-12 championship. I believe it was March 12th or 14th. And then um, that was supposed to go till March 29th. So the next morning, March 30th, they came out with this new policy that extends all the way out till May 30th. So I think that the timelines and stuff make sense to me. The only thing that's a little weird is you can't have virtual virtual supervised workouts. I'm trying to cut that's that a, a word. That's a yeah, that's a secondary problem. I think they're probably worth they're probably worried about monitoring that, um, not necessarily risk of infection. But they have to worry about their own compliance with football hours, um, uh-huh. well, with all sports hours. So they're probably thinking, well, if it's a virtual workout, we can't we can't have a person there monitoring every single Zoom workout. Um, because they have to, they would be somewhat individualized, I would guess, but they could have somebody in the football office monitoring that. I don't know, but I would guess it has something to do with enforcement. I was told, um, from, I asked someone in the USC athletic department and they thought they didn't know for sure, but they thought it might be because there's like a lack of supervision. There might be some liability, but to me, what you're, you can send a video, like I, like the strength coaches can send out videos to their players of like, here's what we want you to do and they can do it. But that's just, you're watching a video. If you're doing something wrong, no one's going to tell you cause you're just doing it by yourself. At least if you have like a live workout, you have, you know, you could have different strength coaches kind of watching different groups of players and be like, Hey, you're, you know, you make sure you bend your hips more or whatever, you know, get your, your knee needs to be right over your, your ankle when you do those bends or whatever it is, like something like that. They can give some sort of instruction where if you're just giving a video, there's none of that. So I, it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I think the SEC can can do these virtual workouts. Maybe this is something that's going to be changed. And, and I brought it up a few times, like on the USC site. Um, maybe I'm just kind of making a big deal of it, but uh, and it's really not a bother. So any if anyone out there knows kind of why the Pac-12 isn't allowing that, you know, write in and let us know. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. But any, I think the timeline's pretty good. Like, I don't like when people set, you know, set, set a timeline for way too far in advance. I think we're going to know a lot more in the next couple of weeks to a month. Um, and, you know, so it's, you know, maybe May 31st is, is too long, but it's, I think it's close. Um, if you're starting pushing things out into June, I think that's just too far away right now. We're, things change every day. So you got a good uh, word for everyone who keeps setting absolute deadlines with this thing. There's a really good word indefinitely. Yeah, you know what it means? I like that. It, mean, it, means, it means we don't know. So it's going to continue like this until we know better. Why, why does, like, there's a bunch of school districts that are closed until, oh, March 30th. Oh, guess it's not going to work for March 30th. Okay, April 14th. No, not going to work for that. April 30th. Stop doing that. No, indefinitely. It's a great word. Use it. That's all. Just say, yeah. we're, we can't do this indefinitely. And at some point, maybe we'll be able to do it again. But that's it. You don't know if May 30th is going to work out. You have no idea. None. Zero. Yeah, you don't know. Um, you have no but- idea. If, so, like, there's a lot of speculation, not to get into COVID talk too much, but there's some speculation that uh, the U.S. is going to peak um, sometime in mid-April. And that'd be great news um, because that would mean we would be on the downslope after that. But it's just wild speculation. I mean, it's based on some modeling, but we have no idea even how many tests are being run, like, and how many of them are actually, like, you know, I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff going on here that you just, you're basing it off of kind of just, you know, tough to read numbers. So you just don't know. 
Don't set May 30th. Just say indefinitely. That's fine. I like it. Uh, We don't know. So just say May 30th and kind of move on from there. Um, But that's that it's it's actually May 31st. But if it if it, you know, something happens and things can start up again, could the Pac-12 go? Okay, actually, it's going to be May 15th. You know, I guess it could do that. But picking arbitrary dates when you just don't know. Um, and everyone's picking different dates. So it's kind of fun. It's just when they get too far away, I'm like, I don't know if you need to be doing that. Like that's, that's pretty pessimistic, but you know, you, I I like to try to be optimistic about this. We, we obviously want a college football season to happen. Um, we just don't know at this point, Dave. So we're, we just kind of have to wait and see. I don't know. Um, As somebody, as somebody who follows a lot of UCLA football, I'm kind of, (laughs) kind of ambivalent (laughs) on the whole thing. Um, (laughs) I don't want to disrupt basketball season now. I'm a I'm a n- number one fan of college basketball, as you know, oh. as you've long known. Um, right. Yeah. Which so. is why we talk so much college basketball on the show. Exactly. Exactly um, right. Exactly right. But the the so the big talk, and this was so definitely check out the uh, the you know John Wilner's hotline newsletter, Pac-12 hotline. Great stuff. He had some quotes. I believe he just talked to Larry Scott, the commissioner himself, and uh, the so. Basically, they had to figure out the spring stuff. Now, I'll summarize what his email said. Now you have to, you know, over the next couple of weeks, they're going to figure out what their plans are for the season. And there's a, you know, there's pretty big range of what could happen. Larry Scott told uh, John Wilner, the optimistic model has an elongated training camp and on-time start to the season. The more, the most pessimistic has no season at all. So basically, if things kind of get cleared up and like David said, maybe it peaks in a couple of weeks and it's on the way down and it starts to be going safe to go outside again and everything that maybe you start some kind of early training camp in July where you tack on the spring football practices you missed, get the weight stuff, you know, workouts going and everyone's on campus and and then you start fall camp and everything rolls along. So that's, that's the, did your, did your heart start fluttering? Did your heart start beating a little bit faster when you said there might be be a little spring football in July? I like it. That would be that um, would be nice. I don't think they yeah, call it that. It would just be like extended spring. I mean, extended fall camp. I hope I hope they they think as far outside of the box as they can, um, because it would be unfortunate to not have a season. Um, obviously, way way down the list of unfortunate things, but certainly unfortunate. Um, I think there's going to be some some very real trepidation from anyone in the general public um, deciding to hang out in a stadium with 70, 80,000 of their closest friends at any point in this fall. Um, just the timeline of the long tail of how long this thing's going to go on, even if we peak in mid-April, there's still going to be people dying of this at, in late summer. I mean, it's just it's going to take a while. Um, even if this is truly going to be the end of the beginning of the end in mid April. Um, so I just, I have a hard time seeing like any, and even like, you know, regulatory bodies and, and states deciding that it's a really good idea to have people packed into stadiums again. I have that. I, I that seems to be a little bit unlikely now. Could they still have the games? Maybe. Um, you know, I think they'll need to start doing antibody tests and make sure they're not infecting players and that whole thing. But yeah, you could maybe start to see games. But I hope they're really flexible with it. Like maybe we don't have to have people in stadiums. Maybe we move the whole thing back a little bit. Um, you know, it might be a little tricky for non-conference games, but if you're talking about a shortened schedule, maybe it's suddenly winter football 
um, starts in January, goes through March or whatever, um, and it goes concurrent with basketball season. And it's all screwed up because of that, but whatever. Um, but, you know, keep ideas out there um, that could make it so the season still gets played. Because it would be, you know, that would be, I think, distressing for a lot of people. Um, you know, again, way down the list of distressing things, but not having a football season would be uh, would be bad news. Yeah, I mean, for the athletic department, budgets for sure. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it would be catastrophic. No, I mean, there'd be there'd be schools that go under um, yeah. have to stop doing athletics. But I think the key point, I mean, you brought it up. You got to be flexible. Like We know the NCAA, the conferences, they kind of can get these like staunch old, you know, decisions. Like this is the way it's always been. And it's really, you know, it's really hard. Hey, you want to pay players for their likeness? Yeah, that's just not the way we do things like. Now, I think everything has to be on the table. You have to keep all these options open. Like you said, you might need to get creative. Uh, it might just be conference season only. And then they, they do it later on and, and you schedule it a certain way. And some, it might screw over some teams more than others. Or who knows? But like you have to be somewhat flexible if you want to get those games on TV and, and get that contract money. I know Larry Scott talked about potential impact with you know Fox and ESPN and his his answer to Wilner was essentially hey those guys are those you know the TV partners are going to be dealing with other sports first so they'll have a better idea of you know shortened seasons or whatever it is how they change things and how they make it work it sounds like everyone's going to try to figure out the right way to do things but you got like you said you have to be flexible you have to be able to pivot on a dime because there's going to be things that are be like that's not the way we've done things but this is the only way we're going to be able to do them and keep some semblance of, uh, you know, keep the, the 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 money still flowing in, keep the sport alive and keep things going. Because it you have the potential for a lot of things to get ruined, like sports get canceled. Like, I mean, literally schools, go, their de- athletic departments going under and not being able to, to have sports at all. I, mean, there's, I think all of that's on the table if you don't handle this right. Yeah. And, and again, if you're if you're in the position where you're not even having a football season, then something's gone probably pretty wrong. Um, either we don't peak in mid-April or there's another outbreak in fall or something goes very wrong very quickly. Um, and in that case, universities are going to have a really tough time just as like a, as a body themselves, like not probably the big flag flagship schools, but smaller universities, ones where revenue and budgets and fundraising are already a challenge at times. They're going to have an even bigger challenge because People are not going to spend $40,000 a year for online education. Just not going to happen. So you're going to have to figure something else out there. Um, So ideally, um, this all gets figured out by the fall so we don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Yeah, I I wanted to get your take on that, too, because it could change the way. Because right now, it's still like guys are, you know, guys and girls, like, you know, students are going into a lot of debt to go to college, 40,000 a year, 50,000 a year, 60,000 a year. And does this is, is this one of those things you learn? Like I could do a lot of this stuff online. Do I really need to pay a top flight university to go there and get that degree when I could do this cheaper and more flexible online places? Like maybe this is a boom for those online educations and stuff. And you go to work and you do that, at, you know, like, do you think that's going to change the way you just, colleges in general are, are looked at across this country? Um, I think there's a few things coming that are going to change the way colleges and, and universities are looked at across this country, but that's one of them. The other one is just how much it costs and what the actual value argument is to go to college anymore. 
Um, it's not a good one. Any any like economist who ever does the math on going to college versus not says, yeah, you probably shouldn't go to college. It's not a good investment. Um, like again, unless you're going to like a top tier university where you can have a substantially improved outcome over what you would get if you just went to work at 18 doing whatever. Um, so there's that piece of it. There's the reality, which is, um, you know, people are doing remote learning right now and it's stupid and it's lame <laughs> and you don't actually get much from it. And if you're reading any accounts of the TAs teaching these classes, most of them are feeling woefully uns unsupported by their universities and they might all go on strike soon. Um, and then you're going to have nobody teaching the classes remotely because um, the professors aren't going to bother. Um, so there's going to be like real weird stuff probably happening if this extends into fall. Um, but like larger, larger structure thing, like I have a day job. Um, my day job is, you know, just an office gig thing, right? Well, I'm doing that from home and countless millions of others of office day worker people are doing their jobs from home. And look, I struggle with the meaninglessness of these stupid make work jobs we have in the best of times, but it really comes into stark you know, relief when you're doing it from home and you can accomplish what you got done in the office in like half an hour. Um, it's just, it's, we've got a lot of make work jobs, a lot of make work education in this country that just doesn't need to be there. It's just passing time and it's, you know, just a god awful waste of your time on this earth. So there you go. Well, a little soapbox by uh, David Woods there. Just, um, just bringing it. Just bringing it. Uh, well, I guess that's probably all the newsy stuff we got. We're going to get into our uh, previews. So why don't we start with uh, our buddy Adam Munster Tiger covering the Colorado Buffaloes. So let's uh, let's get in and talk to Adam. All right, David. Well, we got to talk some Colorado football, which we like to say. Colorado Buffalo. One of my favorite sound effects we have here with the Colorado Buffaloes and the Buffaloes stampeding away. We got to talk with Adam Munster Tiger. He does an amazing job covering the Buffs. We actually talked to him uh, about a month ago because, as you know, uh, Colorado has a new head coach in Carl Durrell. Not the ideal start to the you know, to his tenure at Colorado when you can't even hold any spring practices. So Colorado was scheduled to start March 16th, so didn't get to go uh, with spring football. Um, and spring game, I think, was scheduled for the 25th. So that, obviously that's all on hold. We now know the uh, all uh, organized team activities are put on hold until at least uh, May 31st. So that won't be happening. We'll see what, what happens down the road. But we wanted to bring on Adam again and, and talk about the buffs and preview but there could be some sort of spring down the road what that would be like adam thanks again for uh, coming on of course guys yeah a lot's changed in that last month it's back then i was kind of running on e because i had too much to write about and now we're in this situation having to kind of get creative with content but uh, yeah no springing ball for, for the buffs it, it doesn't look like you know everybody's in the same boat right now but a lot of schools had at least started some spring ball 
before, you know, gotten close to that, that spring game, whereas Colorado hadn't even started. And, and on top of that, a br- brand new staff, they did retain four assistants, but there's a lot of coaches on the staff that need to get, get a familiarity with their players and, you know, implement their scheme. Uh, it does help defensively. Uh, we'll get into this later, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, Tyson Summers being retained, at least the defensive guys won't, won't have to learn a new language. But Carl Durrell had, a, uh, I think it was an eight-minute meeting with every player. And aside from his – right before his intro press conference when he met with the team, I mean, that's the, the amount that they've really been able to be around this guy. So uh, not, not an ideal situation for the Buffs. Yeah, and so uh... – Walk me through that because, all right, so Carl Durrell basically had no time to do anything on the field. And typically when a new staff gets hired, it's sometime in December. So they have yeah. all the, you know, off-season workouts, all that stuff to get familiar with players. And Durrell didn't have any of that. So ha- do you have any sense of what their plan is for trying to do any kind of, I, I mean, I think you're probably limited to basically a Zoom call, but is there anything special that they can do to try to build some team continuity even before, like, let alone installing a scheme, but is there anything he can do to like, I don't know, familiarize himself more with the players as it is now? Yeah. Your only option is those zoom means and, and the NCAA is allowing the PAC 12 is allowing for, you know, some film study to, to take place. And so that'll help. I mean, it's better than nothing, but it's just, I think it's a lot harder to get across teaching points when you're not with them in person, you know, be able to interact face to face, but yeah, you'll get a chance to throw some stuff at them you know, over Zoom. But again, I, I don't know quite how that compares to if they were on campus, what you would be getting through to these guys. So you, we'll talk about the the coordinator stuff, too, because like you said, Tyson Summers being retained, uh, Darren Chavarini uh, coming in there for his first season. But one of the interesting conversations I had, and we'll talk about this later when we preview USC, I talked with uh, USC strength and conditioning coach Aaron Osmus uh, last week, and he'd been on the job for a year. And so he was telling me it was it was really important for him to establish that culture that he wanted to instill when he took things over. And now that you're like Zoom conferencing with all your players and you're trying to get them to work out at home with everyone having yeah. different environments, not everyone has a gym or work or, or weights or anything. It really was important to him that he had that year to kind of get to know everyone. What you know, who's the strength coach at Colorado and and how much of a challenge is that if this is your first time like working with these players and you're doing everything remotely? Yeah, so their strength coach, his name is Drew Wilson. And this is actually the third head coach that he's working for. So he has had that time to oh, get familiarity. Okay. I mean, he's been around uh, all the guys on the current roster uh, you know, since they, since he's been around now. He, he came in under Mike McIntyre. And, you know, by all accounts, he's loved by the players. So that helps. You know, he's got their, their respect. Um, and everybody, again, is in the same boat right now. It's, it's going to be a challenge to keep your entire team, you know, focused on working out right now, just because you don't have them in the building every day, but you try to schedule enough of these. I know that, uh, Drew Wilson has been talking with a player and saying, what's your situation? Do you have weights? Do you not, are you going to have to do this all with body weight? And then he's tried to build a plan kind of individually for each player. So he's working overtime hours right now, trying to get, get individualized workouts for each guy. But again, you know, some of these guys, you, you have to ride harder than other others, you know, to, to keep them in shape. And, and that's when they're on campus. So it, it's certainly a challenge for every strength coach across the country. But to your point, it, it does help that Drew Wilson's been around. Okay. Yeah. That, that's big. I would think. Yeah. So it, with, with Summers and Cheverini being retained and I know Cheverini, he was, 
it, was he doing any offensive coordinating last year, or was it just wide receivers coach? Not last year. Yeah, in 2018, it was his first and only year uh, that he was calling plays, and he drew a lot of criticism. You know, it was a pretty predictable offense. They went, they rode a LaVisca Chanel a ton, and so when he got hurt in Week 7 against USC, it kind of exposed right. the offense. But if you look back at Colorado's, Ranking in terms of the conference in, in scoring offense since they joined the conference in 2011, that they they ranked seventh in 2018 when Chev called called plays. Nothing to write home about, but that was actually tied for the best season they had in terms of uh, scoring rank. Uh, that tied with 2016 when they won 10 games. So it wasn't an unmitigated disaster when Cheverini was calling the plays. It just got more predictable as the season went along. And obviously, you'd hope that. He's learned from that experience and will grow from it. And, you know, there'll be some fans that are skeptical until that actually shows itself on the field. But, yeah, last year he was just a receivers coach, and they labeled him the assistant head coach just because he's done such a great job with recruiting. He's really been a rock star in that sense and since he came back to see in 2016. So uh, it, they weren't in a position where they really could you know, afford to lose him, especially their 2020 recruiting class ranked so highly. And Cheverini was the primary recruiter for so many of those guys. So uh, it's kind of given him a, another chance here and we'll, we'll see how it pans out. But if you're going to, you know, throw some of the biggest question marks with this new staff taking over, it would be Cheverini calling plays. I know uh, there's, there's again, some fans that might be skeptical as to how he's going to do in that role. Um, let's stick on the offensive side for a little bit. Some big losses, you know, LaVisca Chenault, uh, Tony Brown and Steven Montez uh, being gone. Um, who's likely going to take over at quarterback? And will a guy like Katie Nixon, who came back, you know, be playing in a huge role in this offense? Yeah, quarterback is going to be a wide open competition. They, with Blake Stenstrom, one of their their quarterbacks entering the transfer portal, they actually only have two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster, and one of them is a true freshman that was an early enrollee in January by the name of Brendan Lewis, and, and he was really good in the high school ranks, had a lot of power five options, so they're pretty excited about him. He was squatting over 500 pounds as a 17, 18-year-old in, in the weight room this winter, so physically he's got it, uh, but you know it's going to be a pretty steep learning curve from, for him from a mental side of things, and he's going to be competing with junior Tyler Lytle, who's only attempted a, a total of six passes in his college career. Really hasn't played enough for us to, you know, have firm analysis in terms of what he's done there. But apparently in practice, he's had maybe the most polished arm on the team. Just they're going to have no experience really at that position, no matter who they go with, unless they decide to bring in a grad transfer quarterback. Mel Tucker was not planning to do that. But Carl Durrell has said they might be open to that idea. Maybe even just from a depth standpoint, it'd be kind of scary to go into a season with just two scholarship quarterbacks. So, but uh, I mean, if you, you put odds on that competition right now, I, I, I'd say it's it's pretty much 50-50. It'd be hard to say there. And then, uh, yeah, in terms of losing LaVisca Chenault, obviously he meant so much to this program. It's really invaluable when you have a guy you can put in the Wildcat in third and fourth short yard situations, and it's a guarantee that he's going to get that every time. Uh, so that that'll be one thing that they're not going to have as a as a security blanket on offense this year. But I mentioned Darren Chavarini has been a rock star with recruiting. He really filled up that receiver's room with a lot of talent. So, yeah, LaVisca Chenault's a once-in-a-generational type guy, at least for, for CU's program. And so you're not going to replace him with one guy. But they do have quite a few guys that have been kind of waiting in the wings. We keep hearing Maurice Bell and Daniel Arias and these are doing really, really well in practice. But they just haven't been able to get on the field because they've had – LaVisca Chanel and Tony Brown ahead of them. So, uh, but with Steven Montez, I mean, I, I don't know if that's a loss 
you know, it just, he was so inconsistent uh, with all that talent. And yet he could not in three years as a starter lead Colorado to a bowl game. Um, you know, it's, you're going to have more inexperience there, but Montez's quarterback rating went down a little bit each year. So it's not like he was getting any better. So that it's a really intriguing position. And, and yeah, we're not sure who's going to, going to end up with that job. When we talked um, a month ago about just Darrell being hired, um, one of my concerns with him being hired, probably the major one, is that he makes sure not to run the same offense that he was running way back in the day. What you've said about Chavarini makes me a little, uh, gives me a little bit of pause about that because it sounds like he doesn't necessarily have his own defined ideas, you know, having only one year of experience as a play caller. Um, do you get a sense from Darrell what he's planning for the offense? I know it's hard to, first coaches are never going to be forthcoming. Um, and second, um, he might not even have any idea yet because he's not, still not seeing the team, but do you have any sense, um, what kind of offense he's planning at this point? Well, they're definitely not going to run the West coast offense. So read this high relief. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) what I'm hearing, it sounds like it's going to be more. Uh, of a Chevrini type offense, he before he came back to CU where, where he played, he was a coach, offensive coach at Texas Tech. So he was, you know, kind of learned, you know, this air raid system, and that's a lot of what they implemented in 2018. You know, when they're in short yard situations, obviously they're they're going to go, uh, you know, to a different look. But yeah, it, it sounds like it's going to be more of more spread concepts um, than than a pro style look on offense. Awesome. That's very good news, Colorado fans. You should feel very happy now. <laughs> um, on the defensive side of the ball, uh, what do you know? Uh, I mean, it seems like things are going to stay the same with uh, Tyson Summers, and there's some, you know, some guys that are coming back, like Mustafa Johnson and Terrence Lang, and I believe Nate Landman's coming back, right? Carson Wells. It seems like there's some some good talent returning on the defensive side of the ball too. Yeah, you'd have to be pretty optimistic about that side of the ball, especially. You know, they early on last year, they were had one of the worst defenses in the country. They were giving up over 30 points every game. They had a really long streak, giving up 30 or more points. But late in the season, the defense made big strides in in their home wins over Washington and Stanford. They held those two teams to a combined 27 points, so 13 and 14 points. So that it had really started to click. And it was another big reason. Another reason why it's a big deal that Tyson Summers is being retained is because it took until very late in the season before the players were out there and their heads weren't swimming. It took them a really long time to get down the defense. Even though it was a 3-4 base under McIntyre, the defense was quite a bit different uh, with different terminology. So it took a long time. Nate Lamon early in the season, you didn't, he just didn't look like the same Nate Lamon, and it's part of, the, part of the reason why is he was having to direct traffic so much and get his teammates doing the right assignment that – it made him look a step slow, but then late in the season, when there guys around him started to get the scheme, he started to fly around the ball like we had been used to seeing. So they're they're going to lose a, a, you know, a couple key guys. And, and Davion Taylor, he was kind of a hybrid guy. He played the star role, and uh, he's going to get drafted. He's an elite athlete that could you know, chase down plays across the field, and then they lose one of their starting cornerbacks. But they do, like you mentioned there, Ryan, they bring back a lot of guys that have quite a bit of experience. Mustafa Johnson was really not himself at all last year because he had an ankle injury. If he can get back to the way he was playing a couple years ago when he was a first-team all-conference guy, that would be a big addition there. And, and Terrence Lang, who you mentioned, has gotten a lot better. So probably a little less skeptical with the defense, especially with Summers being retained, than, than you are with the Buffs offense, uh, just not knowing what's going to happen to quarterback. Um, 
because I mean I, I know we still don't know a whole lot on the field. Off the field, have you gotten any early sense? And this is again with all the weird, you know, coronavirus stuff. Any sense for Durrell as a recruiter so far? It's hard to say. You know, he doesn't bring it up the way that Mel Tucker did. It was when Mel Tucker got here, he talked about we're going to recruit every day. That was something he mentioned all the time without people re- even really bringing it up to him. Carl Durrell will talk about recruiting, but it's like when you ask him specifically about it. Um, so he, he did bring in some pretty good recruiting assistants. Uh, I mentioned Cheverini being retained. He's been their top r- recruiter the last four years. And Demetrius Martin, who was at Arizona and was at UCLA for a while, he's got a pretty good reputation as a recruiter. And, you know, he's, he's now coached in the Pac-12 for a long time. So they're optimistic about what he can bring there. And uh, Chris Wilson, their new defensive line coach, uh, was a top recruiter when he was assistant at Oklahoma. And he's had a stint coaching at Boulder. So he kind of knows how to be able to sell CU already, which kind of gives him an advantage as a recruiter. So it's not really – we're not hearing a ton from Carl Jarrell, but he clearly put a lot of thought into recruiting when he was running out of staff. And you've got a mix of some young, energetic guys and then some guys that have NFL experience that are a little bit older. But uh, it's pretty good mix that you put together in that sense. Adam, last thing for you. So just whenever there's coaching turnover, there's usually some kind of roster turnover. I wanted to see if there's been any impact with the transfer portal and then also with anyone that signed with the 2020 class, if anyone needed to be uh, released because of the change in coaches. Yeah, just one, one guy from the 2020 class asked to be out of his letter of intent. Mel Tucker was, had kind of personally recruited him because this kid's from uh, from Cleveland, and that's where Mel Tucker's from. And so they built up that relationship. And Mel Tucker is close with Ted Ginn Sr., his coach there in Ohio. So William Anglin is not going to be coming to Boulder. But, yeah, and even Anglin was one of their lowest-rated guys. So it's pretty impressive what Cheverini was able to do in the interim role just to kind of keep those kids on boat. Because, again, on paper at least, this was CU's best class since joining the conference. Um, and then in terms of attrition, I mentioned Blake Stenstrom, a quarterback that – I don't think he would have had a, a strong chance to win the starting job. In fact, I think he saw the writing on the wall, and that's why he's in the transfer portal. But now that you only have two scholarship quarterbacks, that's kind of a concern. Blake Sandstrom was at least good enough that you'd feel good about him going into season as your as your third string quarterback. Um, and you know, from the, they brought in Antonio Alfano, which is a huge deal because he was the number one ranked recruit in the country by 24 seven sports in 2019, but he was suspended by Durrell shortly before this coronavirus really exploded. And so we're not I mean, at this point, I think the chances of him being on last chance, you are as good as they are ever playing it down at CU just from everything I've heard. Maybe he can kind of use this break to kind of recenter himself. I don't know, but uh, CU fans were really excited. Obviously they don't just sign number one players in the country. Uh, so to have him, come here and, and uh, you know they were kind of excited about what he might be able to do he was probably going to be able to get a waiver to play right away so their defense line could have been really stout this year it still should be a pretty good group but not a ton of movement at least in terms of guys that you've, you really factored to be in the, in the mix in terms of the transfer portal make sure you check out buffstampede.com and uh, our buddy Adams over there dropping all kinds of knowledge bombs about the buffs hoping for a bowl season what, what they, we talked about a month ago is what's the last time I mean, it's well, like one in the last 12 or something like it's something crazy, right? Yeah, they they played in obviously in 2016. They won the South, went uh, out to San Antonio playing Elmo Bowl. Before that, they hadn't played in a bowl game since 2007. Wow. Yeah, it's it's been 
a pretty rough stretch in terms of, uh, you know, obviously bowl games are good for business. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, we'll see how the, the Carl Durrell era plays out here. It's crazy. Um, I mean, who knows? Like, we didn't expect much from Herm Edwards. Maybe Carl Durrell is just going to kill it there in Colorado, and we'll all be like, wow, all right, that was an interesting hire. Um, thanks again, Adam, for coming on. We appreciate all the insight. Thank you, Adam. All right, good stuff from Adam. David, did you did you mind talking to Adam? I don't mind talking to him twice in a month. That's that's nice. No, it was beautiful. It was like uh, you know, it's always it's always interesting. It's always fun with our man Adam. But now we got to talk to Ryan, this fellow who covers USC. I cover USC Trojans. Yep. Hey, hey Ryan, how you doing today? I'm I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. No problem. I love uh, just running this show. Um, you know, I don't get much help from my co-host. Um, he doesn't really do a whole lot. So, you know, I'm always feeling like I'm having to carry the load just fully on my shoulders. So, um, well, it's nice to talk to somebody else. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I've heard something, not maybe along those exact lines, but I've heard something to that effect. But names yeah, might have been reversed. Yeah. I don't know. There was something. No, no, no. I, I don't know about that. But yeah, yeah, no. So. <laughs> So, Ryan, you're here. It's good to talk to you, um, as always. Uh, so, USC, I'm going to ask uh, one of my co-hosts' favorite questions. How many how many spring practices did you guys get in? Uh, so, USC started on uh, March 10th. They got one in, but they actually didn't start till the 11th because it was, like, raining that day. So, the well, 11th— You can't is... practice in the rain. You can't do that. No. Uh, it was supposed to rain. They actually delayed it, like, the day before. And it was the—that was the weird time when you kind of knew— Shit was going to hit the fan sort of thing. So they had it, but then they didn't let players talk. They had them talk in like uh, uh, more of a, a like a press conference kind of format. So the media was close together, but the players were separated. I actually was speaking at a Trojan Club event down in San Diego. So I didn't even get to watch the first practice. Can you imagine that? They had one practice. I didn't even get to watch it because they moved it from Tuesday to Wednesday. I had a speaking event. And, and then, then hang after, on. Hang on. Yeah. You're telling me. You're telling me. Yep. that. You, lover, absolute devotee of spring ball, you weren't even able to watch a single spring practice this nope. spring? Not what? Oh, my God. It's oh, my terrible. God. Because of the Are rain. You, they, they have you even the emerged from your deep, dark depression yet? <laughs> it's just kind of it's just piling on at this point, David. You know, you can't leave the house. I didn't get to watch any spring football. Uh, it was weird though, because I was speaking and, uh, I was actually like emceeing a vet, Jake Olson. If you know him, he was the, the blind long snapper from USC. He was like a motivational speaker. Now he has his own company. He would, he, they did the college football. I think ESPN did college football top 150 plays or hundred plays or something like that. And his was actually number two on the list, uh, that when he came into the game and, and snapped the ball blind. And so I was the MC for the vet. We had like, I kind of had people ask questions for Jake and stuff, introduced him and things. And we were talking and it was like, if that event was held on Thursday, it would have been canceled. Like that was basically the last time you could do an event like that. And, and unfortunately for a guy like Jake, he, I mean, he's like a speaker. And so people that do that, that are on speaking tours, all those events are canceled. So, um, not, you you got a young company and that's what you're doing most of the time. That's, it kind of sucks, but it was a really weird beginning of spring football practice, having it delayed a day, me not go, beginning to go, speaking at that event. And then that next morning, Thursday, is when we found out, because they were supposed to have practice on Thursday, we found out, you know, everything was on hold, as you know. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, I pressed my mute button. Am I still talking? Can you hear me? You're, I can still hear you, bud. Beautiful. That's great. We're just going live. Um, all right. So, so look, there's, I, I got to ask you a bunch of stuff about spring practice. My co-host okay. isn't here. He's the one who usually asks the questions that like <laughs> he cares about. Apparently some people care about, but I'm going to try to do my best. So Graham Harrell returning as the offensive coordinator. How big is that for this season for Clay Helton? For our, my my man, Clay Helton. I mean, as you know, I'm a big Clay Helton fan, as you, you are. You are. Uh, yeah. And 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 um, how, how big is it for him, you know, getting that security of getting Graham Harrell back for this year? It was big. I mean, everyone, a lot of people made a run at Graham Harrell. And really, if you're going to look at his, uh, you know, whatever – Clay Helton brings it to the table. There wasn't a lot that you could sell, but Graham Harrell, you could sell. They had a really good offense last year, despite playing three different quarterbacks, despite losing all their running backs at one point, they still put up a whole lot more points. It just looked like a much better offense than anything they've run the past couple of years. And, you know, they got a really good group of wide receivers and that helps, but you had a true freshman starting. You had Matt Fink be the top 10 team, you know, like there's, they, you know, they had three different dudes playing. So it's, it's something that Graham Harrell's coming back. There's six new assistants on this team. And it's funny, I was going through my spring notes. I'm sure you have yours, David, around there. But last year, USC had f- five new assistant coaches. This year, they have six. So they they keep changing uh, the assistant coaches uh, year after year. But having Graham Harrell, I think, is a, is a big deal. He's going to be, you know, a, a top-notch offensive coordinator somewhere, someday, you know, probably soon, if not a head coach. But just having someone that has an actual college game plan that works, that brings it in, it's not, you know, complete Mike Leach air raid. They, they want to run the ball probably 40% of the time instead of like 25% or whatever Leach does. But it does, it's, it's effective. He's the only guy running the show. He's the only guy calling the plays instead of having like three guys with their hands in it. It, it was a big jump just having a, an actual offensive coordinator instead of a whole bunch of people uh, playing, playing offensive coordinator. All right, so let's talk about that quarterback position. Um, who do you, so is it Keaton Slovis' job to lose at this point? Is that is that the feeling, or or what are we talking about um, in terms of JT Daniels, in terms of everything? And now with spring not happening, what are we thinking? Yeah, so Keaton Slovis, I mean, there there's still USC fans that people talk about, well, JT Daniels, once he's healthy again, because he went out in the first game with a knee injury, is he going to get the job back? And it's like, no, Keaton Slovis had, I think, four 400-yard games. He was the most efficient freshman passer like in Pac-12 history. Like He set all kinds of records and missed a few games because of, because of injury. So he's going to be the guy. Now, with spring, JT Daniels wasn't going to be able to come back and practice, but he was supposed to throw the ball around a little bit. He's coming off that, that knee surgery. Slovis actually got hurt in the middle of the Holiday Bowl, had like an elbow thing, but he's supposed to be back. Um, you know, maybe if you delay spring until like, uh, July or something like we talked about, maybe that gives Daniels a chance to kind of get extra practices in and compete. I think they will let him compete, but Slovis and Harrell are really tight. Um, I I just don't see outside of Keaton Slovis getting injured, him not being the starting guy. And I think JT Daniels will stick around even if he doesn't win the job and then probably leave after. So he's going to get some opportunities. I mean, like I said, last year, three quarterbacks played. So I think it'd be good for Daniels to stick around. If something happens to Slovis, Daniels could take over. He'll probably get in some games and at least show people other universities, other programs. Hey, my knee's fine. I can come in and play well if they let him throw the ball around a little bit. 
And then he could, you know, he'll be able to graduate early and play two years somewhere else. So I kind of think how that's going to play out, David. But to me, Slovis is the the clear starter. Um, and, you know, like I said, him and Harold, him and Harold put out like a, a video together, like, you know, one of those dating game things where you're like, try to, do you know your coach? Do you know your player really well? They put that out like a couple of weeks before this whole coronavirus thing. So to me, it's, it's Slovis's job right now. And, and Daniels is going to try to get back, get some playing time, and then show what he can do at, at another university down the road. Yeah, and from my vantage point, uh, also the obvious thing is that Keaton Slovis is just far, far better um, and performed better in games last year, but also the previous year. I mean, not the previous year, but compared to what Daniels did in 2018. Um, Slovis just probably better. And kind of a diamond in the rough. So good on, uh, good on my man Clay for identifying him, uh, or you know having a, <laughs> having any kind of relationship with Kurt Warner. Um, all right. Uh, so moving on alongside the offense. Um, so look, there's no shortage of options, but who's going to replace Michael Pittman? And uh, the answer can be several guys. Yeah. So like coming in last year, you know, Tyler Vaughn's came back. He's a senior, um, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown, he's going to be a junior. Like those two guys are definitely studs. Uh, Drake London is the guy that kind of came on later in the season uh, last year. And I think, you know, he showed what he was able to do. He's a two-way player, basketball and uh, football. He wasn't going to do partake in the spring because he's been on the basketball team. Uh, but if they do a later camp, you know, camp now, he'd be able to come in and join most likely. So those will probably be the top three guys. They still had two five-star wide receivers that didn't play last year. Uh, you know, Kyle Ford, he was coming off a, an injury in high school also, a knee injury. And he was real. When I saw him at the opening down in Dallas, he, I think he caught 15 touchdowns that weekend, like in two days worth of, seven months. I mean, it was crazy. And then uh, Brew McCoy, who, you know, Went to USC, transferred to Texas, transferred back. You know, that stuff's crazy. But uh, so those two guys, they have two five-star wide receivers that haven't even seen the field yet outside of those three studs that they have. So they should have plenty uh, at the wide receiver spot. And, I, don't, you know, probably Drake London is going to do there. They might move Amon Ross St. Brown outside to play where Pittman played. But their re- production at the receiver spot shouldn't be an issue for USC. And then at running back, um, my contention last year was that the um, – depth chart was almost inverted from what it should have been like almost completely reversed. Um, do you get any sense that they're going to do that better this time around, or is it still going to be um, a screwed up thing where they've got their least talented guy probably as the number one dude? Yeah. You know, they, Mike Jenks, the, the wide, the uh, running backs coach loves Vivai Malapai just because he can do a little bit of everything. Stephen Carr is the five. He can do everything slowly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Marquis Step though became a fan favorite, and just... yeah, you want to know why he was a fan favorite? Because he's the best <laughs> running back on the team. He's really good. Um, and then Stephen Carr just hasn't, to me, he just hasn't looked the same. Uh, that breakaway speed, some of the the moves he would have. He was the former five star running back, so I got I agree with you. I think Marquis Step is probably gonna, you know, he's probably got the best shot to be the the number one back. But it might start off where it's a, you know, Malapai show. Uh, we'll see. But all those guys got hurt last year. Um, you saw Keaton Christian, who was a, a three-star dude from San Diego, but was like a track champion, and he's really fast. He had to carry the load. They used Amon Rossi Brown a little bit at, wide, at uh, running back last year because they were so uh, you know just devastated with injuries there. But I, I think Step is going to be able to show him, like, hey, he can be a workhorse guy. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. I, I think he's your best option right now, so I would agree with you. 
Yeah, so last year, um, I'm just going to give you the rushing averages yards per attempt because that's, you know, a good enough look at it without getting into success rates. So Marquis Step, 6.4 yards per attempt, right? Keenan Kristen, 5.5. Stephen Carr, 5.5. Malapai, 4.8. It was literally the the exact reverse of that, more or less. I mean, Kristen <laughs> would have been uh, behind Step, but come on. Yeah. You... Uh, Steps a big dude who runs fast. You don't want a big dude who runs slow. Big dude who runs fast. You want that. Marquis Step. Do it. Yeah. I, right. I know. I, I agree with you. He's the fans really like to see him out there, and uh, hopefully he can stay healthy for them. Don't the the fans like to see it because he's the best running back on the team. <laughs> That's why they like to see it. They don't like to see him because he's like, oh, he looks fun out there, and he's you know averaging three yards a carry. They like to see him. Because he's crushing dudes and running through entire defenses and knocking people over. Like, that's why they like to see it. Yep. Um, all right. So talk to me about the rest of the offense. Offensive line, because um, nobody ever talks about the offensive line. What does it look like? Um, are they returning a bunch of dudes? Is there a lot to replace? And, you know, how much do you see that being the way the offense goes this year? Yeah, so they only had one guy leave early. It was Austin Jackson, the left tackle. That's going to be a tough one. To replace, but they lost their, uh, you know, Drew Richmond, their right tackle as well. Um, and they're going to move guys around. I think their best offensive lineman last year was Elijah Vera Tucker. He played left guard. I think they're going to pop him out to left tackle now. So you're taking a risk there because he, like, if you do the pro football focus grades, uh, Vera Tucker had, had rated the highest on the team, you know, but Jackson was, a lot of people think Jackson's going to be a first round pick. Uh, he'll probably, he'll probably be at least, you know, the worst would be second day, second round or something like that. But they're they're going to move some pieces around. They they got enough guys with starting experience coming back. They have a couple good options at center. Um, Andrew Voorhees was the regular starting uh, right guard. He missed all last year uh, with a foot ankle kind of thing, so he'll probably come back. And you know they're it you know Jalen McKenzie played a lot of right guard last year. He'll probably move out to right tackle. The, their top five or six or seven guys are are pretty good, but there's a lot of unproven talent after that. They missed out on some big offensive line recruits over the last couple of years. And then this class, they had to bring in six guys. But I think they had one four-star guy and everyone else was sort of a three-star guy. Look, I don't see anyone that's coming in this class that looks like like what Austin Jackson did. He came as a five-star offensive lineman from, from Arizona. He looked like he could start right away and, and got early playing time. I'm not seeing anyone from this class. So it's not really deep, David. Uh, they're going to have to play a lot better. Because all those quarterbacks and running backs did get hurt last year, and in part because it wasn't the greatest offensive line at times. So um, I'm curious to see what they do, who they move around. I think that's what I told you I think is what's probably going to happen, but it's not very deep, and they're going to have to play well to keep Keaton Slovis upright. Because if he stays healthy all year, this team's going to score a lot of points. But if they, you know, when you start losing quarterbacks and running backs and things, that's when I think you could uh, run into some problems and potentially there's games they can lose because of some great competition and there's games they probably shouldn't lose. But if you lose your quarterback, uh, things like that, then you might lose some, some extra games that weren't really, you weren't really planning on. Right. All right. Switching gears to defense. Um, obviously the big change is uh, Clancy Pendergast, who I feel was at USC for about 75 years. Is he was that there a long correct? time. Yes. Under exactly. like 17 different head coaches, right? <laughs> 16, but yes, you're close. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, they, they finally, he, I don't know, retired probably, or was fired, something. Um, but Todd Orlando, 
uh, hired formerly at Texas um, under Tom Herman. The star kind of came off of Orlando. The shine uh, came off of him. He was well thought of uh, back in his uh, Houston days with Herman, uh, but then things didn't go so well at Texas. Um, what's the feeling on him so far? What's he going to bring in terms of changes? Um, yeah, anything you have on Orlando? Yeah, so, so it's, it's interesting. Where he goes, usually they do really well the first year or two. Um, and then they kind of, you know, a lot of people I talked to at Texas felt that he was somewhat of a scapegoat for, for Herman, who's on the hot seat himself down there. Uh, they had a lot of injuries last year uh, for Texas's defense. And, you know, that certainly didn't, didn't help. But he was, like you said, he was one of the hot commodities the year before at Texas. And, you know, it was one of the highest paid coordinators uh, in the country because he got a, a big raise for being, you know, everyone wanting to, to hire him away. So it's sort of like one of those things where like, is he really like Apple stock that hit a, hit a bump, uh, you know, went down a bit and you're going to get it cheaper now, or is it a stock like, um, so, you know, some company, you know, are you buying uh circuit city that's going down and circuit <laughs> city's going away, you know, like, so it's one of those things that, you know, I think the USC administration is hoping that he's still this really good defensive coordinator. Now, the, what he brings to the table, I think he's going to have autonomy. He's going to have the authority to to run physical practices where that really wasn't the case before. That was all the talk. Uh, we, locked, we talked to all the assistant coaches before spring football. There was violence. There was physicality. All those kind of things that we hadn't really heard at all. And that's not really been Clay Helton's M.O. Um, and it seems like Todd Orlando is going to be able to come in and be able to run practices the way he wants to. Obviously we don't get to see that now, but I like the staff he put together. He brings over Craig Niver, who was coaching the safeties there. They hired Dante Williams from Oregon, who's the best recruiter in the Pac-12. So that that's USC kind of showing its muscle a little bit, something uh, something else we haven't seen. They haven't made hires like that where you're going out and get guys that other people want. Um it's just not USC's been more about hiring like the familiar guys. And I think with the new athletic department, they sort of I'm not going to say they forced Clay Helton to do it, but he was strongly encouraged to go outside of his comfort zone and hire someone. I think if if you didn't have a new athletic director, they probably probably would have got a guy like Joe Barry, who played football at USC and was in the NFL. That you bring him in because you kind of know who he is, and it's going to you know he was an assistant with the Rams, and you know they were going to bring him in. Uh, I think the new administration makes you go out and get someone like Todd Orlando. Will it work out? We don't know at this point. But it's at least uh, an outside the box kind of hire. It's a outside, not outside the box, but more of an unfamiliar hire. Someone that's good at his job somewhere else, and you're going to bring him in to USC. He has no connections to USC before, and that's just something they've they, they seem like avoid at all costs. So uh, I think there's some positive signs with the, the new coaches they did bring in, um, and we'll see how how well Orlando does. Yeah, and he certainly inherits uh, quite a roster. Uh, Bill Connolly ranked USC's defense um, seventh in returning production. So that's basically accumulated stats like tackles, sacks, all that kind of stuff. Uh, 87% of the production from last year returns. So that's pretty high. Um, what are the strengths and weaknesses of this defense that you could tell from not attending one practice in the spring? Yeah, I know. It's true. They, they they bring, I think, 17 or 18 starters total back. I mean, they bring a lot of dudes on offense, a lot of guys on defense. I think in the secondary, Talanoho Funga is the, the five-star from, uh, uh, you know, Corvallis. And he's just, you know, he's just a stud back there. He just makes a ton of plays. There was a pretty young secondary last year, and he sort of led the way. I love Jay Tefele a lot, the uh, defensive tackle 
up front. He'll probably be one of the you know the top guys on NFL draft boards after this season. But they got a pretty good group of defensive linemen. Drake uh, Drake Jackson's a, he's going to be a true sophomore um, from uh, Corona Centennial out here in Southern California, and just was started as a true freshman, was an absolute stud, makes a lot of plays. So those are a couple of guys that'll be fun to watch. And then I'm really looking at the linebackers because that's just been sort of a forgotten group. They've had like, they had an outside linebacker coach and an inside linebacker coach. Now they don't have any linebacker coach because Todd Orlando coaches linebackers. I feel like that group's going to be utilized more. They had a ton of talent. You had guys like Palier, no Teote, former five-star guy or Solomon Tulea Pupu has been hurt with a foot. Most of his, you know, uh, coming out of high school and didn't really get to play last year, but there's some studs there at linebacker. And I just don't think they utilize that position well, they they moved uh, No Teote from uh, from the his uh, will spot or the middle to will, and I think he's better as a as a middle guy. So I think they're going to move him back there, and they'll, I think you'll get more production there. I don't know where the the weak spot's going to be. I mean, they got they got studs all over the place. Um, just seeing what this new we, we got to see what the front looks like. It's going to be changing. It does like a lot of multiple stuff, but I would think. Anything, maybe the secondary is a little thinner than they would like, and there could be some holes there. But for the most part, they got a lot of athletes all over the place, David. And like all that production coming back with a new scheme that's probably going to do better. Uh, I think there, there's some pretty high expectations for this defense this year. Yeah. So, all right. So when we're talking about Clay Helton's job status, what does he need to do to retain his job this year? Obviously, if there is a season, because if there's not, he just comes back for another year and that'll be beautiful. But if there is Does a season, he? so what are we Does talking he? with? With yeah, yeah, and it's going to be beautiful. Don't <laughs> don't you dare interrupt me. Um, so USC, um, given all that returning production, what does he need to do? What are we talking? Six and six? Does that keep his job? <laughs> At least five, five and seven. <laughs> we had it's a, a tough schedule. Tough schedule, yep. baby. So there, there's three really important games. I would say right off the bat, Alabama to start the season. Uh, you got a road game against Oregon, and Oregon absolutely manhandled USC in the Coliseum last year, and then Notre Dame at the end of the season at home. Uh, those are, re- I mean, there's a lot of important games, but those are the three really big ones. Um, you could kind of like if USC like goes nine and three and say loses those three games, I don't think you can bring them back. Uh, the, the administration is not saying like because hey, he'll be because he'll be moving on to a better job. <laughs> uh, I, I, I doubt that, but maybe, I guess it's possible. Maybe a, like they an NFL... physically won't be able to bring him back because they won't be able to spend enough money to get him. Is that what you're yeah. saying? I, I'm saying, I, I think you have to win the conference at a minimum this, this season. And mm. they probably still have the most talented roster in the conference. And, you know, I, I think that's going to be the, the bar, but there there's USC fans, David talking that what if they delay the season or, you know, they cancel the season. Could you, fire Clay Helton without playing any games because now the new administration had more time to kind of evaluate things. If they get someone better that they could get lined up, could they make a move without ever having him coach a game? I, I mean, that's a question that a bunch of USC fans brought up, but I, I don't know. I mean, but in general, could that happen? Like, could, would we see college coaches change if there's no season, you know, if there's no NFL season, there's no college season. Does an NFL team hire away a college coach or does a college coach get fired? I don't know if it's something like that could happen. Yeah, it will be interesting to see. Well, um, you, you got anything else you want to say about USC football? Uh, before they, I bring my co-host back on? 
Yeah, the, the, they have a new special teams coordinator, Sean Snyder. So if you Bill Snyder, longtime head coach at uh, Kansas State, and he's you know uh, Sean was a All American punter, uh, supposed to be a, a, a top notch special teams coach. They've really given up a lot of hidden yards and big plays on special teams, and it was very uh, frustrating for the fans. And we something we would harp on a lot of times. They would trot out eight or, you know nine or ten players on special teams plays fairly frequently, probably like eight games a year. They would do that. So now they have a real special teams coordinator as well. So I think that's going to help. Um, Are we sure about that? Are we sure he's a real special teams coordinator? As far because as special teams coordinator let me, goes, let me let me describe his career to you for everyone out there. Um, okay, it's it's a it's a multi-syllable word that starts with an N that I'm going to refer to as nepotism. He spent 26 years at Kansas State as a coach. Before that, he was a player. He's never had a job except for this one where he wasn't bossed around by his dad. Yes. That's okay, true. yeah. We'll we'll take it as as his dad's word for it that he's a top notch special teams coordinator. Well, he was named the best special teams coordinator of the year like three times by different okay. you know, publications. Does, uh, but I don't yeah, from what but I, from all I remember of Bill dad. Snyder's career being a special teams, you know, head you know, oriented head coach, like I don't know, man. Whatever. That's, no, Great. I think that's a I hope point. he works out. <laughs> yeah. I think it's just one of those things you just needed to change. You know, it's you you needed someone different. Is there a risk there? Because, yeah, there's the nepotism factor. Um, I think I think it was Phil Steele named him. I don't know. I forget who it was. But he was named, like, top special teams coach a couple of times. But it's – I think they you're needed a, to change. You're a journalist. You're a journalist. And I'm yeah. a journalist. Uh, do you think we know, like – absolutely anything about the marginal utility of a special teams coach aside from like the absolute horrendous special teams coaching that was going on at USC before this. <laughs> I like, that. We don't know. Like, it's like, Oh yeah. You really diagrammed those blocking lanes. Well, or some crap. Like, I don't know. I'm not even exactly. watching all 22 film. I have no idea. Um, so yeah, Phil Steele. Great. I'm glad that they had good special team stats, but that's all you're saying. Not, we have no idea. So yes, hope he works out. Yeah, we'll see. Um, all right. Well, that's the that wraps up USC. Do you want to bring back the, your co-host, Dave? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much. Uh, it's been a real pleasure to talk to somebody so educated on this show um, for the first time, <laughs> and uh, we'll uh, we'll hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks, David. Keep up the good work. All right, Keep that was the good work. stuff. Good stuff from Ryan Abraham. You can follow him at Inside Troy on Twitter. Um, all right. Is my co-host back? I am back. Uh, oh, hey. There you are. There you are. I just had a good interview. Um, it's a lot better than it otherwise would have been. Um, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So it's good to good to talk to you again. Should we do some questions? Yeah, let's do that. I think I got uh, Frank in Sacramento. We read his – if you remember last week, he was the one that talked about uh, – he didn't like the games running too long, you know. He oh, the hashtag. We, we, we heard it all over his question. We we caught it, yeah. And he said, in defense of my question, you disrespected. Mm, uh, yes. I, he said I was complaining below about the length of college football games that I actually attend, where you could become part of a poorly treated studio audience. You guys described your love for watching games on the TV, which I do as well. Confession. I record several games per weekend and don't start watching any of them until they've been on at least an hour and a half. And then I zip through the commercials, replays, delays, and halftime, Frank and Sacramento. So 
his is more about the in-person experience because they got that guy with the red armband trotting out there and stopping the, Dude, the no, action. No, he's, I think he's still misunderstanding. I don't record the games and I don't fast forward through the commercials. I don't care. Like this is not a point that I, I, or I'm guessing many people care about. My parents care about it or yeah, my, my dad cares about it in terms of like not wanting to um, sit there and watch the commercials, but you know, he sits there and he records the thing and then, and then watches it, you know, later on. But I'm trying to watch that thing real time at all times. So I don't really care about the commercials. Do you care about the commercials, Ryan? At any point? No, I don't. There's no, no, no part of me wants less of the game. So no, I don't know. Yeah. Um, we got a text message too that it's only the only it says I am a fool, and I went I just went in logged in and it, there's no previous messages. That was the only message we got from this person. So I don't know what that means. Probably though. They're probably he's, right. They're probably. <laughs> we don't know who it is. I'm assuming they're correct, but I don't know why we got that message. Maybe All right, it's this a is from spam. Or yeah, something. this is from our man Hitfoday. The subject line is not some oblique reference to classical literature, so I'm a little weirded out. Uh, Snyder, Robinson, and McKay. Oh. I thought the new guy Jackson Moore did a good job representing Cal's position going into 2020. But do you buy that the Bears' defense is actually going to improve in 2020? I count a lot of reasons to think it's going to continue its slide from its peak in 2018. A, they've lost every safety in the two deep in a system that depends on them. B, Kwani Dang, Kwani Dang, I don't know, is simply not an effective inside linebacker, and they've got to replace Evan Weaver to boot. C, they still haven't replaced the main reason they fell off last year, which was the loss of their nose tackle Chris Palmer after 2018, and indeed spent all of 2019 shedding more DTs to the point that they've only got one returning. D, the story with Sermon replacing DeRoyter, De, say his name again. Tim DeRuiter. That, that one's going <laughs> to screw me up every time. DeRuiter. That Y should be pronounced. Otherwise, remove it. Uh <laughs> Tim DeRuiter as defensive play caller because of some other team's interest stinks to me since the former was run out of Starkville on a rail in 2016. What do you boys think of the situation? Well, I'll tell you the D is another one of those things where it's not nepotism, but it's the other thing, which is just hiring your stupid friends um, because Justin Wilcox has known Peter Sermon for a really long time. So that's what's going on there. Um, the rest of it, I, I, Yes, losing the safeties, I think, especially um, uh, given who they lost, um, I think is ex that's going to be really significant. They lost too much on defense. I mean, when you're looking at the returning production stats, Cal's returning production on offense is great. I mean, I think they're number one in the country, actually. Uh, on defense, it's very bad. Um, so even if you give them a little bit of an uptick from like a coaching standpoint, they've got a lot of expertise on that side of the ball. You have to imagine they're going to take a, a pretty big step back. Yeah, I would, you know, I, I kind of still have some optimism for the scheme. You know, is it matter that Peter Sermon's calling the plays versus Tim DeRuiter? But I mean, I, I like the scheme that they put in place. And um, I feel like you can plug and play some of those positions just because you lose a couple of safeties or you lose a defensive tackle. Doesn't mean, oh, OK, that well, no one else could do what those guys did. And um, it's not going to work. I, I just think that's part of the culture that they're going to have a tough defenses they're going to play physical they're going to be tough and um yeah I, I don't i don't see some huge drop off there if they do and it becomes more of an offensive team it's just going to be a, a pretty big shift and i just I, I just see the culture there at cal 
being a lot more, you know, a lot more defensive focus with a bunch of guys on that staff that have been defensive coordinators before. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that the sermon promotion is like that stinks of just pure cronyism. You're yeah. Like, the, they played together. They've coached together at multiple stops. Like, hire outside of your comfort zone, any of you people. Especially when you set yourself up with such a good staff like you had at the beginning and then you basically demote your defensive coordinator who's done a really good job. Yeah, I don't know. That's weird. All things weird to me. All right. We got one from uh, Larry. This one's pretty long. It's a Dave and Ryan's one-stop incredible college football streaming experience. Hey, Dave and Ryan. Love the pod. How are things? In Cheyenne Mountain. Uh, what is that reference? Do you know? Uh, do we have a joke was... about Cheyenne Mountain? Or did we talk about Wyoming or something? Or what was the? <sighs> Damn it! So I don't remember. It's so hard to know. So uh, when when the inside joke we don't get, and we're the host, there's probably something bad there. He says Santa Barbara Larry, aka Cal slash. So that Will- is where that's where yeah that's where NORAD is. So are we in a, oh, maybe he's making a quarantine joke. We're in a bunker. Oh, very nice. Okay. Okay. Good. Yeah. Good. No, you're good, Larry. You're, you were slow. You're good. <laughs> he says, Santa Barbara, Larry, AKA Cal Wiley Coyote, Larry here with too much time on my hands. Um, he put Wiley W I L Y. Wasn't it? Isn't it like while dot wild e, dot e dot. E- Coyote, Coyote. But, yeah, I think it's, yeah. yeah, that's all right. Yeah. Uh, if you're desperate for content, how about you guys uh, putting your three brain cells together? Ryan has two, a system redundancy thing, and telling us how to, A, watch college football without blood-sucking cable TV, and B, save money. Or is this chasing rainbows? We need to know. I, I had the cord cut the entire year and did pretty good with Hulu Live and... Uh, I did slang for a Pac-12 network. So I don't, are you you cord cut as well or no? I cut the cord um, and I did um, some slinging, some other stuff. But I also just um, blatantly committed illegal theft of a cable subscription. As well. Oh, there you go. There's there's yeah. that for you, Larry. Uh, here is my sad tale. And so he, this is, these are fancy bullets, too. These aren't just regular bullets like he's. He like bought a font for these bullets. I have enough of being extorted and canceled cable TV, but kept internet service. I did that as well. Uh, some reach research and boom, FUBU, is it FUBO? FUBO carries Pac-12 and I sign up. Then kabam, I learned FUBO does not offer ESPN. And Cal loves that coveted West Coast ESPN 8 p.m. to midnight slot. So I cancel FUBO. More research and boom, sling is a ticket at 45 bucks per month plus Ted per month for the Platinum Pac-12 uh, network. But kabam, my 2015 smart TV is not smart enough, and I have to buy a $50 Roku stick to stream Sling. Then another kabam, I learned that Sling does not offer local ABC, NBC, and CBS and Fox stations, which are the only ones that carry network football games. More research and boom, I learned that through Roku, I can stream local NBC, but kabam, not local CBS, ABC, or Fox. And here is Santa. And here, I think he means here in Santa Barbara. I can only get one channel with an antenna. Are you still with me? We're still here. More research. I find out Cox is still charging me twenty-five a month for quote Contour TV. At first, I'm pissed. Typical Cox. Bill for a service I never ordered or knew about. But then, boom! I find out I can get local CBS, ABC, and Fox on Contour. But then, kabam! I can only get Contour through a browser, 
And to play it on my big screen, I need to run it through my laptop, which means I have to buy a $15 H, uh, micro HDMI cable. So shall we recap? To get college football similar to, but without cable TV, expect four booms, five kabams, and to have negative uh, to have to navigate through the treacherous sling Roku contour uh, channel streaming maze, and to save at least 500 a year if you kill month-to-month sling for six months, there's no football. Please tell me if there's an easier way. Where is Dave and Ryan's one-stop incredible college football streaming experience? Keep up the great work, Larry and Santa Barbara. Larry, I had much the same experience, actually, when I was doing the research. I don't think there is any good single option. Um, And it is, if you are trying to get every single thing, you do have to do like this networked solution of a lot of different services. Um, The one thing I would say is a lot of, if you're willing to be a little shady, um, you can do things like, especially the CBS games, if you have like a bunch of different email addresses, you can just get a free trial every weekend of CBS, whatever it is, the, the, what, what's their thing? All access that thing. CBS all access. If you're, if you're a 24 seven sports subscriber, don't you get that too? I think you get that. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. If you are, if you're a VIP subscriber, you get uh, CBS. Um, but I For think you can also you do get a free, free year. Yeah. You can also do free trials. Um, with ABC, I want to say that's included on the ESPN app, which you would get through Sling, if I'm not mistaken. So I think you'd be able to get ABC through that. I could be wrong, but I think you would. And Fox, I don't remember having an issue with. So I'm so, not sure about this. I think if you're willing to do it through apps versus on your TV, you can do a lot more. The thing is, if you're not flexible about your TV, you really want to watch it on the big screen... Mm, that's tough. Like yeah. I, I watch stuff on my laptop. I watch stuff on my phone. Like I don't really, I'm not super precious about having to watch it on like a big 60 inch, you know, HD or whatever, or 4k or whatever it's called these days. Um, but if you are, then your choices do get a little bit more limited. So let me give you my thoughts on this Larry as well. So I, my main TV in the living room is a Samsung and they have their own apps and everything on there, but they don't have every app. And I started buying these cheaper TVs called TCLs. They're, I think they're Chinese made um, because they have Roku built in. So then you don't, that's a TV that you just plug in and connect to the internet. And because it has Roku built in, you can get all the different kind of apps. There's an app called Lowcast that brought from the major cities will give you uh, the local channels. And I think they ask you for $5 a month donation or something, but they really don't even charge you. Um, so you can use that. And that like that app wasn't on my Samsung, but it's on the TCL. So that's one that's cool. I do like Hulu live streaming. The interface I'm not a big fan of, but I think Hulu or YouTube is more like basic cable with the local channels. Here in Los Angeles, I, we get all the local channels on Hulu except Channel 5 for some reason. But you get... You know, the Fox, the NBC, the ABC, the CBS. You also get Channel 9, which is a local LA one, but not Channel 5. So it's like that's like the WB one or whatever. I don't remember. But um, so you could do like a Hulu and Sling if you want to just use Sling for Pac-12 Network. um, And it'll give you some options there or YouTube and and Sling. I think those are pretty good. But try Locat. If you've got a solution that doesn't have local channels, 
try Locast if that's available in your area. And like I said, I like, you know, I'm not a big like, oh, I need the the super sharp, the best, you know, picture in the world. One of my buddies from college is like, uh, you know, he's he's into all that stuff. Like he works for, you know, the TV companies and stuff and they test all the speakers and all that, you know, the he wants you to be in a dark room a shadowed curtain have any light coming in when you watch TV and it's not too bright. I don't care. I mean, I, I got it. You know, the, the cheaper TVs are fine with me, but I like the TCL ones cause they have Roku built in. So hopefully that helps. All right. Very cool. All right. Uh, this is from Kevin, uh, who's tried to ask this question many times and now we'll find an answer. Uh, subject line Angus McClure. Hey guys, absolutely love the podcast. Appreciate the hard work, Ryan. Wow. <laughs> Question for David. You know a lot about Angus McClure. Wow, what a thing. He's going to compliment you and then ask me a direct question, as if I'm going to give it my full attention. Uh, You know a lot about Angus McClure. I'd love to hear your thoughts on him as a, one, position coach, and two, recruiter. Jackson mentioned that there has been a lot of exciting recruiting activity for next year. Now, don't get me wrong. I know commitments right now don't mean much, but it's still much better than Cal normally has at this phase. Maybe this has something to do with Angus. Um, all right, so I'll answer that first. Um, I think my man Angus is coaching offensive line up there. Uh, let me let me just double check before I give you false information because he was a defensive line coach at his uh, final point at UCLA. Um, why does it tell me? Hang on. This is great podcasting. Oh, it's beautiful. Okay, yeah. All right, so he's going to be the offensive line coach. I was just checking, just checking. Um, so he did a little bit of offensive line coaching at UCLA um, his first couple of years. He did a he wore a ton of hats. He did some tight end stuff. He did some special team stuff. He did some recruiting coordinating, and then he was on the defensive line and produced a you know whole bunch of uh, NFL defensive linemen. Guy can coach. He's kind of been all over the place, um, knows how to coach a little bit of everything, and but particularly both lines. So I wouldn't have many concerns with him about a, a position coach. Where Angus really, 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 really has a ton of value is as a recruiter. Um, he does – he's one of those – so there's two like kind of generalized types of recruiters. You've got your guys who are like – really super personable and can just make connections with people and they are just they they just you know everybody just falls in love with them and the kids especially just really love them um and then you've got your guys who like know everybody and who work their butts off angus is a little bit more the latter than the former but especially in the bay area and northern california he knows i'm gonna say conservatively um 50 of the entire population like he knows that's how many people he knows it everywhere north of like Santa Barbara. Um, so like if you're if you ask him about, hey, the, so this high school where, you know, this random kids from, he'll know like half the kids on the team already. Um, he puts in a ton of work, um, really, really, really hard worker. Um, so, yeah, I have no doubt that he's already made an impact with recruiting and especially even more than UCLA, I think recruiting to one of the Bay Area schools is an absolute fit for him um, because his his bread and butter is very much NorCal recruiting. He knows every single high school coach up there. He's related to half of them. Like he's very, very tied in with that whole community. So really great hire for Cal. Um, and I think he's going to do great stuff there. And I think it was very stupid for UCLA to let him go in the first place. Oh, OK. Nice. 
Um, all right. Uh, also, a throw-in. Since you guys seem to like this type of question, if every Pac-12 North coach was a drink, choices below, which would he be? Repeat for the South if you are enjoying this. Okay. Whiskey, tequila, wine, beer, champagne, and fireball. Okay, so among the... All right, so six Pac-12 North coaches. All right, so we've got Nick Rolovich. We've I got... I think he's fireball. Hang on. Oh. We've got Jimmy Lake. We've got Mario Cristobal. We've got Jonathan Smith. We've got David Shaw. We've got Justin Wilcox. Okay, so the most boring. What's the most boring drink here? Jonathan, Jonathan Smith is a beer. Jonathan Smith is a beer. Uh, David Shaw's obviously wine or champagne. Which one? I think he's champagne. Champagne. Okay. All right. So we've got beer and champagne taken care of. Um, all right. So Justin Wilcox is then tequila, right? Or whiskey? He's, uh, he might. I think he's whiskey and Cristobal's tequila. Very good. Very good. All right. So then it leaves Jimmy Lake with wine and, uh, and Nick Rolovich with fireball. Yeah, I like all of them except Lake. I'm not. I'm kind of. Is Lake really wine? Like, it should could we go Wilcox wine and Lake tequila or Lake whiskey? That I don't yeah. know about that either. I don't yeah. know about that either. I think I think Wilcox is whiskey. So, my apologies mm-hmm. to the Washington fans if if we didn't depict wine in the right way for Jimmy Lake. But I like the other guys. I like everyone else. So I, I think, think everyone else fits perfectly. Yeah. I think that's pretty good. Good, good, good. Nice. Thanks, guys. Kevin in San Francisco. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, we got, this is uh, Derek, North Dakota State versus Oregon week one. Uh, oh, actually, it's Earl. It's He says, Earl coming from South Korea. Uh, North Dakota State is coming to Eugene week one this season. NDSU has won the last eight out of nine FCS titles and returns their quarterback who was the FCS player of the year. Also in the past, they have won at Iowa state, Minnesota, Kansas state, and Iowa. I think this has serious upset potential. What do you guys think? Thanks from Earl. I don't. Um, I think, look, they're really good. They're a really good FCS program. Oregon should still beat them by a couple of touchdowns. Um, And if they don't, I think that's a very bad sign. The teams that North Dakota State has beaten in the FBS have generally been teams having a down year or who were pretty bad that year. Um, so I would I would be very stunned if North Dakota State beat Oregon. Um, that's not to say it can't happen, but if they do, that means Oregon's going to have a much worse year than we would have thought. It's not like North Dakota State's going to walk in and beat a really good Oregon team. Um, if they beat Oregon, that means Oregon's not really good this year. Yeah. It is, I mean— None of those teams won the Rose Bowl the year before, so you can go with that too. Yeah, I mean, it, maybe like it'll be. I think I think North Dakota State's going to come in there and and try to give them a punch in the mouth, and they might be in it for a little while. But I just they should not be able to hang with Oregon, and if they no. do, that's a worrying sign for the season. Hundred um, percent agree. All right, am I, am I the last one? Thanks, the last one. Yeah. All right, this is Paul. Preseason beatdowns. Which Pac-12 team has the best chance of going undefeated in the preseason, assuming there is a preseason? My Ducks seem unlikely since they start off with North Dakota State and Ohio State. Washington has Minnesota. Wait, no, they have Michigan, right? Yeah, Michigan. Uh, USC has Alabama. Beavs get Oklahoma State. Washington State might have the softest schedule, but with a new head coach, new system, and much less time to implement it, they might have a tough road. So which teams, if any, might get through unscathed? 
<sighs> so we have to know all the schedules of all the teams. Yeah, that's a lot. And I don't really feel like looking right now. So, um, I mean, I think the teams you mentioned that have legit games have less of a chance. Like Oregon State, probably, you know, because they play a, a really good opponent and they're going to be coming from closer to the bottom. You know, and Oregon has a chance, but Ohio State's legit. You know, that's tough. Uh, Washington yeah. has a chance, but they got a new coach and, you know, Michigan's a legit team. USC has to play Alabama and Notre Dame. So maybe you got two games there that you, you know, are unlikely to win. So maybe you, you give, you don't give them a shot, but like a, a Washington state, from what I remember, it was, you know, three pretty, you know, patty cape kind of teams. Um, you know, I think there'll be a few PAC 12 teams that will, but it's really just going to be about the schedule that when you play teams that just don't really have a good chance to beat you, that's, that's where you're going to be. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I don't have the full Pac-12 schedule in front of me, and I don't really feel like looking it up. But do you? No, Should no, I? that was you know we reached a bad point in the show. If this had been the first question, we might have looked it up. But um, we've been sitting here now for about two hours. I'm done. I think you're done. I think we're both done. Um, I think. Uh, yeah, I think we're done. Uh, we'll we'll look at the schedules and stuff down the road, Paul. Sorry about that. We don't mean to be dismissive of the question, but uh, it's been a long, you know, long evening. Uh, Dave, great stuff. Was it? We had an awesome guest. And we did Adam Munster an Tiger awesome on, guest. too. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> 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 oh, boy. Yeah. Good stuff. We're really, we're really good to our listeners and our guests. We're kind and upstanding people. We, we try. We do our best. Um, all right. Well, <laughs> that is not uh, true. And if that is true, that's very sad that we suck. <laughs> <laughs> we suck, you suck. <laughs> but we do appreciate everyone tuning in. And uh, I know it's weird times, but we're, we're doing our best to uh, keep bringing you some some fun content to pass the time and uh, in the, you know, staying at home. Everyone stay at home. Try to stop the spread. We want college football to happen. So do your part. We'll all try to do our part. Uh, but that's David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham. We're socially distancing here on the podcast of champions, and we will talk to you next time. Bye.